0: Welcome, everyone, to Breaking Big Blue. I'm your host, Jordan Ron on ESPN, ESPN.com. And I'm back. We had a little one-week hiatus. Last week was a rough week for New Jersey. Everyone got hit by that storm that came across midweek. Uh, now, I know a lot of people without power. we I was fortunate enough to have power at my house, but I did not have internet throughout the week. So uh, we decided to hold off on the podcast last week. And now we're back this week, better than ever. Ready to crush it. I got the great Bill Barnwell to talk about the Giants, some of the expectations, and why he considers them to have one of the best weapon groups in the NFL. So you'll hear about that in a few minutes. But let's take care of some news and some business first. DeAndre Baker, in the meantime, he was charged with three counts of basically uh armed robbery. That those are gonna be he's gonna be prosecuted on that. That means He's going to be busy handling his legal issues. This is sort of like the final nail in the coffin for DeAndre Baker's Giants career. He wasn't going to play for them anyway. The fact that these files are being done, these charges have been filed and are going to be prosecuted, his freedom is now in jeopardy, his NFL career is now in real, in real serious jeopardy and his Giants career is pretty much all but over. He's technically Still on the Giants. He's on the commissioner's exemplist. But, uh, and they're going to go after his money. You'll, you will, we'll see if they have success in doing that. And it could be a long process. But we're not going to see DeAndre Baker ever play another snap for the New York Giants. I feel pretty confident about that. We're also probably not going to see Ross Cockrell play a snap for the Giants. It looked like they were about to re-sign him. He had left for a couple of years. He was here a couple of years ago. They looked like they were going to bring in the veteran cornerback, but that deal fell apart on Tuesday night at the last minute. So, no Ross Cockrell. What does that leave the Giants at cornerback? Corey Ballantyne is a guy I know the organization has been high on. They still are pretty high on him. He's probably, he is first in line to start on the outside if they don't get a veteran. And, I don't think it's a lock now that they are able to go out there and find that veteran that they think can start at this point. Uh, Logan Ryan, there has been some talk that he's almost a safety at this point of his career in some way, shape or form. I had spoken to some coaches who had told me last year the way the Titans had used him was somewhat as a safety at times in the slot. Like You can't just put him out there. At cornerback and say go lock down man to man at this point of his career, uh, maybe ever in his career. So uh, to to be certain that he's a guy that could come in, that they'd have to pay a decent amount of money, and then put him put him on the outside, and then you put him on the outside, then you need to provide, provide him help too. Probably not an ideal situation. Not so sure now. I'm definitely feel less confident they're going to go that route than I did probably two weeks ago. So. Corey Ballantyne, he's the front runner there. Darnay Holmes, he's going to play this year. He's a big part of what the Giants think they have. He's going to be thrown into the mix. Probably more of a slot guy, though. Uh, And the one guy that I would keep an eye on is Askew Henry. I'm I'm drawing a blank on his first name at this point. Uh, But he is a guy who played in the XFL, who I know the Giants. think is a pretty interesting prospect. Now, remember, none of these guys... The Giants really haven't seen them play. They've seen them run through basic drills at this point. Okay? So, they haven't seen any of these players play football. So, until they put on the pads in the next couple weeks, we're not really going to know about the players. There's not a real idea from the coaching staff of what they have. And that's been Joe Judge's number one concern from the start, from the get-go, is... Am I going to get a full and clear evaluation of the guys on his team and on his roster? I mean, he look, remember, he doesn't know a lot of these guys. He wasn't here last year. He needs to see what he has firsthand, right? He's never seen Daniel Jones play in practice, you know, when guys are going full speed in pads. Now, granted, the quarterback can't get hit in practice, but you get the point. So the center position after speaking to coaches – and some players this week, I'm getting the vibe that Spencer Pulley is probably the most likely to start at center this year. Just in the fact that he has such a head start in the experience at the position. So, uh, Nick Gates he'll get his shot. Uh, Shane Lemieux he'll get his shot a little bit of his, as well. Lemieux more is uh, viewed more as a guard. Gates might actually play more tackle now than Nate Solder's there, so that kind of complicates and throws a wrinkle into it as well. But I think the likelihood is that Spencer Pulley has played center in the NFL. He knows how the position works. He can make the calls probably better than the other guys and recognize what's going on. And he has some of that familiarity with Daniel Jones. He's probably the the favorite to start at center right now. Now we'll see. Maybe the, the, the staff sits there and watches them practice the next couple of weeks and decides, oh my God, we need to bring in a veteran here. Uh, we need to bring in Justin Britt, who's a former Seahawk, or... Uh, john jalapio and say okay these are our better our best option right now we really don't have anything at center where we think we could start so it's possible but i'm leaning towards pulley at this point let's see what happens now in the next two or three weeks uh as far as tackle is concerned the giants organization very high on matt Pert at this point uh both the rookie tackles obviously andrew thomas is number four overall pick those guys are going to get legit chances to start. Uh, Andrew Thomas is going to start on the left side. Matt Pert will be strongly in that mix on the right side. I mean, I thought it would probably be Cam Fleming or uh, or Nick Gates and I still probably would lean in that direction. But I wouldn't count out Pert so quickly just yet. Not yet. The Giants, they like that athleticism. They like that size, that length that he brings. Now they know it's a little bit of a project, but it might be worthwhile to get him in there and get him experience. Now it might not be week one. Even it might be midway in the season before they get him up to speed. But I think at some point this season we're probably going to see him start some games. So as far as kicker, Chandler zero, everybody says, well I want Guskowski. Uh, I want uh, Graham Gano from the Panthers. Just, these guys are better. They've been better throughout their career. The Giants like. Cantazaro, though, he's a guy that the Patriots organization was high on several years ago. So unless things go sideways somewhere here in the next few weeks, I would expect him to be the Giants kicker this year. Obviously, he's taking over for Aldrich Rosas, who had his legal problems and was cut. He's out there working out in California waiting for a call from a team. But, uh, you know, he's also probably waiting for awaiting some discipline from the league which complicates his situation. But Chandler Cantanzaro seems like he's going to be the Giants guy for now. Unless something goes really sideways, he struggles terribly in camp, I would expect him to be their week one kicker. But let's see, because the next couple weeks are huge. I'm taping this on a Wednesday. So by the beginning, by the beginning of next week, by Monday, the entire team finally will be on the field in what they're calling a ramp-up period. No, I'm sorry, the ramp-up period will be over. They'll be into real practices. The ramp-up period is from basically today until Sunday. All right, today's Wednesday. It depends on whether you're a veteran or rookie when you came in. But ramp-up period is when guys are actually allowed to put on helmets, and each day you kind of are able to do a little bit more. Days one and two of the ramp-up period, you just have a helmet and a padded protector or some shirt or something like that. I don't remember exactly what they called it. So that's the first two days. And days three and four you're allowed to put on some more gear. And then by the beginning of next week the entire team's going to be on the field they're going to be able to play 11-on-11 11 and, 11. and as Joe Judge mentioned during his Wednesday press conference he said they're going to have weekly scrimmages. That is where they're going to be able to finally see what most of these guys can do. In live settings, live action, sort of like when you're in high school and college, and the offense goes to one sideline and the defense goes to the other sideline, and they get out there, and the coaches set up. All right, it's third and ten, you know, from the uh, from the other the opponent's twenty yard the twenty yard line, you know, let's go, or and you get a fresh set of downs at midfield, you know, full eleven on eleven. Everyone's fully padded. It's going to be real football. Remember, there's no preseason games. So this is how they're going to substitute for preseason games. The Giants are going to run weekly scrimmages. I'm not really sure if it's going to. They really only have 14 days of padded practices. So it's going to be, unless I'm misinterpreting this, they're going to have two scrimmages. 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 One a week from this Friday. So this Friday is what, the 14th? So the 21st and the 28th. Those are the big days. Mark them on the calendar. And with that, let's move on to the next one. All right, let's bring on Bill Barnwell, the great Bill Barnwell from ESPN. If you read the website, you know Bill very well. Uh, NFL expert really likes to dig deep into the numbers. Also happens to be born and raised a Giants fan. Correct, Bill?
1: That is correct. Yes, sir.
0: So, I know everyone says you hate the Giants, but no, you're just brutally honest about your poor little Giants because it's been, it's been a really rough run, you know? I mean, watching the Giants the last few years, easily the worst stretch probably of your lifetime.
1: Oh, I mean, you know, I grew up, I was born in 84, so, you know, that, that, that last Parcel Super Bowl was kind of one of my first memories. So right. I got the, you know, the Ray Hanley era very briefly, I got the, you know, the successful. uh uh, dan reeves years the the early jim fossil years but even those years even when they were good they weren't fun to watch they were still a you know still dave brown ken graham rodney hampton running the ball 500 times a year you know it uh wasn't always it was defense really so um you know i i I would settle for good and boring but uh, this giants team seems to be the opposite uh of that over the past few years
0: yeah. It really it really uh, has been just a completely unprecedented giant kind of run recently. It just just I mean, they're the worst team in the league the last three years. There's no way around it. I mean, I, I think I use that stat like you know with everyone I talk to, but it is what it is. I mean, they're they're the worst team in the entire NFL over that stretch. And the Cleveland Browns went 0, 0 for one of those years. You know? They no. Still went over three years ago, and the Giants still have a worse record than them during this time. So. Yeah,
1: I, think, I think the tough part is, you know, obviously Dave Gettleman does get a lot of criticism, and, and you could obviously, you know, take some issues with some of the things he's done. But realistically, this is a team that just – there's so little infrastructure that was there three years ago, and they've added some now. It's still, this is a team that doesn't feel like, oh, this is about to be a breakout year. Even if Daniel Jones improves, even if the offensive weapons are there – I mean, whether it's the opt-out, whether it's the, the you know, the rest, whether it's the, the drafting not going the way they would have hoped for, you know, it still feels like this is a team that just is still a pretty far ways away from being the team that Giants fans will want to see.
0: Yeah, no, and I agree, especially on that defensive side. They're, I mean, impact players, they're not really there yet. They, they're more probably middle of the line players and, and a little more depth than they've had in the past. But I will say this, and tell me where you stand on it at this point. I actually do feel, though, for the first time, and maybe it is because Eli Manning's gone and they kind of turned a page on it, but I feel like the organization finally seems to be trending in the right direction in that their plan is somewhat sound, right? They're going – they're rebuilding Mm -hmm. in a way, right? They they had that young quarterback – they're going to build up. They're trying to build up that offensive line. and They didn't go out and, and spend foolishly on top of the line uh, players in short-term deals or a- anything like that. They didn't go out and sign 30-something-year-olds like they did with Nate Solder and they did with uh, Golden Tate. Like, I feel like at least direction-wise, we're finally headed in a promising way.
1: Yeah, Jordan, I mean, think about that 2016 team, right, where they made the playoffs – and there was some young talent on that team. So Odell was 24.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, Landon you know, Collins.
1: Yeah, Landon Collins, Weston Richburg. It's sad to say how many of these guys are no longer on the roster. But,
0: Justin, you know, you was still young at that point, yeah. Right,
1: right. That team really took a step forward because they added a bunch of free agents on the defensive side of the ball. It was David Harrison coming in. It was uh, Janoris Jenkins coming in. You know, it, it, it was you know, Olivia Vernon. Olivia Vernon, yeah. I mean, those guys got, got massive contracts. They were all pretty productive. But those guys were signed because – they were papering over the cracks in the foundation. There was not uh, those, those sort of drafted and developed homegrown guys. And you read about this at the time with Jerry Reese, you know, just the drafts had been so bad. there had been so many injuries, so many guys who hadn't lived up to expectations that you had to go out and spend in free agency just to kind of feel the competitive roster and have any hope of competing. So they got that one season out of it, but then when those free agents weren't as effective in the, the, the years afterwards, they had it, more injuries on defense, everything fell apart because there was no plan B. There was no infrastructure. Now they've might not have picked the right guys. We still have, obviously have plenty of time to see. We have to see what, what, you know, Andrew Thomas turns into what Daniel Jones turns into what, what the defense turns into, but at least they are building through that model of, Hey, you know, let's draft and develop. And even over the last couple of years, the, you mentioned Nate Solder being a signing where, you know, it hasn't worked out the way they would have hoped for, but at least I can understand why they would go out and try to sign a franchise left tackle. Because not only is it just about having Nate Solder, but also just evaluating eventually the quarterback they were going to draft, Daniel Jones, obviously. Right. Uh, you didn't get much time if it's was only that one last season. But, um, you know, I, I think there's at least more of a plan about what's being done here. I think you can take issues with, some of the steps that were taken as a part of that plan. But I think the overall plan, uh, you know, does make some sense for what the Giants needed to do. Now, of course, the big question is, did they do the right job of picking the right guys and signing the right players to get there? And I think that's something we need to see a step forward from, from some of those players this upcoming season.
0: Right. And well, so let's start there. Where do you stand on your feelings on Daniel Jones at this point? I, my, impre- my feeling at this point, right, after his rookie year, you know that Daniel Jones is a capable starter now, right? Like, all the, the buzz about, you know, him, the Giants reaching terribly and him not being that kind of player. Well, at least in his rookie year, we realized this is, a, you know, an NFL caliber starting quarterback. Now let's see where he grows from there. Who knows Who knows how much the progression is. But I feel like at least that's what they know that they have right now. Where do you stand on your yeah, Daniel I mean, like Jones like, meter? Yeah
1: yeah i mean i i was I was pretty skeptical so I, I think having seen him play last year i mean obviously there were some some missteps there were some uh you know signs of rookie play, but some really promising signs. I think a guy who i felt like he was really tough, I felt like he was very consistent um in terms of his you know his his, his fundamentals like it wasn 't like he would you know, get hit early in a game. And then in the fourth quarter, he would be frantically running around for his life, trying to make plays, you know, not, not to pick on Josh Allen. I think Josh Allen showed a lot last year as well, but I think Josh Allen is someone where you saw in that playoff game last year against the Texans, where, you know, once things, w- when he was comfortable, when he was uh, in play calls, he was comfortable with when he was playing a mediocre defense, he looked great. And then when things kind of went South, he sort of panicked and wasn't the same guy w- with Daniel Jones. I think you saw even when he was playing a tough defense, even when he was overmatched, he was still pretty consistent about wanting to do the right things. That's a promising step because if you can get the right people around him, he'll be able to do those right things more frequently. Now yeah. I, think, I think when you're looking at, well, well, how can he improve? What can he do better? I mean, if you're a Giants fan, you watched him play last year. The simplest thing is this. I mean, this is a guy who I think was someone who was so calm and so comfortable in the pocket last year. And it was almost a fall. You know, this is a guy who did not fluster, was always comfortable in the pocket, waiting to make plays, didn't mind getting hit. But a guy who, so many plays last year where he, uh, you know, there were forced fumbles because he was waiting in the pocket, the ball was being held too long, he wasn't running around, he wasn't frantically trying to reset. And that could be a positive, but it could also be a negative because you're going to get strip sacked a lot. So I think
0: it's almost as if Pat Shermer had too much trust in Daniel Jones as a rookie. I, I always got that. I always got that feeling. Like he was so high on Daniel Jones that it's almost like he's he forgets that he's still a rookie. You have to get him to move quicker and just get the ball out. And even if that, even if it means throwing it away and losing some plays, because those turnovers are, were, I mean, they're just absolute killers.
1: Mm-hmm. I mean, you saw with Eli during Saquon's rookie season, there were so many plays where it was like third and thirteen. And Eli would just dump the ball off to Saquon after three seconds. And you kind of sit there and say, well, that's a dumb play. Like, it's not going to get you a first down. Saquon's good, but he's not going to make five guys miss. He might make one or two guys miss, but he's not going to make the entire defense miss. So why are you getting a punt? But, you know, Eli, uh, he had a really long game started and games played streak for a reason. Yeah. Never got hurt. He got the ball out quickly and moved on to play another down. And I think with Daniel Jones, it's always a balance, right? You never want to be the guy who gets the ball out immediately. But you want to kind of strike that balance of, okay, this is the right time to hold the football. Something's going to come open versus, okay, nothing's coming open. I got to get this ball out and live to play another day. Right. So with You Daniel- want like
0: a middle ground. You don't want to do it all the time. But it, it, you know what? Once in a while, it's probably all right to do that.
1: Right. And I think that's going to come with time. I think it's going to come with experience. It's going to come with trusting your offensive line, trusting your receivers, getting more time with them. So, you know, you know, where they're going to go when things break down. So, you know, Hey, maybe this is a good time to scramble. Cause I know that, uh, you know, I know where Darius Slayton is going to go when this play breaks down. I, I know where Sterling Shepard is going to move when this play breaks down. And I think having those kind of situations will go a long way. And, I think with Daniel Jones, that's the first thing that comes to mind for me of, of okay, well, where do I want to see him grow this year? What, what's, what's going to be the evidence of, okay, this guy is going to take another step forward. That's the first thing that comes to mind.
0: Yeah, f- that fumble and turnover number, I mean, really, see, you can twist numbers and make them into whatever you want. But of course. if those numbers don't go down, then it's disappointing because those are big numbers. I mean, 18 fumbles, 11 fumbles, lost. both those numbers need to go down this year. Otherwise, the season, season for him won't be a success.
1: I think it's, so. really I, I think it's just, just, yeah, just a sign of growth. Like I, it, it's even more than just the number, but just, you know, it's reflected in his play, right? It's not just about the number for the sake of the number, because you can have a right. lot of fumbles and be successful, but I think just, do you want to see that proof of, okay, he's making smarter decisions inside the pocket? And I think he yeah. will. I think it's just something that's going to come with more opportunities. To
0: play. Yeah. I don't think he'll ever be the, you know, the guy who never fumbles. Where he's the best pocket presence in the world, but there's probably a a nice happy medium in between for Daniel Jones where he could still be a very good quarterback. Eli was not a guy who, uh, you know, was especially low on turnovers for most of his career. But if you could make enough plays and he proved you could be successful in that in that mold. So I think that's a that's that's kind of what you want to see from Daniel Jones.
1: Absolutely. And I think, again, you know, we're one year into his career. I mean, Eli was a guy who was up and down his first few years, obviously did make some playoff runs, but it wasn't really until that playoff run in 07, that he was really the guy. I mean, even yeah. even in the months before that, that playoff, he was really bad in November and December of that year. He was awful. And then. And
0: remember, he, that's year four. You're talking year four of his career.
1: Exactly. So, I mean, it, it's going to take some time. There's going to be ups and downs. And I think, you know, even though Soldier hasn't lived up to expectations, losing him, uh, you know, ha- as one of your options to tackle does hurt. Obviously, with the talent they have at, at receiver and running back, so many weapons, but. I mean, having those guys in the football field at the same time has been difficult. It's just getting all those guys in the field together for, you know, a couple hundred steps this year would mean so much to having uh, Daniel Jones get the best opportunity to succeed.
0: Yeah, you you were pretty high on those weapons, right? I think you had them ranked seventh overall in your skill position rankings. Uh, yeah. How big a, a, a w- how big a boost is that for Daniel Jones? And how much did you take into account the fact that? they didn't play all all play together and and there are some like Evan Ingram injury concern and a golden tape, uh, Mm -hmm. obviously getting older. How much did you take that stuff into consideration? What do you kind of see there
1: for that group? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it definitely matters in terms of injuries and it definitely lowers their floor because like I said, you know, Saquon Barkley missed a chunk of last year with a high ankle sprain, and he wasn't the same guy really afterwards outside of one or two big plays. Um, you know, Shepard has had injury issues. Evan Ingram has had a bunch of injury issues. Golden Tate was suspended last year yep. um, for four games. I mean, it, it, you know, even Corey Coleman coming off the, uh, off the bench had a torn ACL last year, I believe. You even know, Blay- that, Blayton
0: actually, he, he uh, was injured early in the season, had a hamstring.
1: Yep. Deion Lewis. So, but he was, probably yeah.
0: wasn't himself until week four or five, something like that.
1: Right. Even Deion Lewis, a guy who had injury issues going back to his time with the Patriots. I mean, you know, this is a high-risk group of players, but at the same time, when you think about the upset, I mean, Saquon Barkley is a top three NFL running back. Evan Ingram is a guy who, on a play-by-play basis, has been one of the most productive tight ends in football since entering the league.
0: You just um, want to see him play that full season. You just, you know, you're like, you're like drooling, saying, "Just let me see that full season yeah. once. That 16 game, I'm healthy, Evan Ingram, and see what kind of production you can get out of that."
1: And I mean, so much of what Evan Ingram's future is going to be might depend on having that one big season right now. And this is a guy who can make, you know, millions and millions of dollars if he has a full 16 game season and lives up to kind of that snap by snap expectation. Um, You know, I I, I think the receivers are really good. I think Golden Tate was a guy who, you know, didn't have his best year last year. You kind of hope that he's going to be a little more like the guy that we saw at the Lions than maybe the guy we saw last season obviously a lot of targets to go around. So he's not going to get that sort of volume you might expect for a guy who's making as much as he does, but um, this is a really talented group of players. And and outside of Tate, a young group of players, I mean, uh, you know, all Giants uh, draftees uh, outside of Tate, all players who you'd figure are going to be hitting their peak in the next year or two. So, um,
0: Which is why you finally feel like you're at least headed in the right direction with this team. Obviously a lot of holes to fill. Yes, we, didn't even, I, I, we didn't touch on that defensive side yet, but yeah. Right.
1: But this part of the team, you feel like, okay, you're set here. Like, you're good. Yeah. You don't have to worry about it. Now the offensive line's a concern. Defense, obviously, is a concern. But I think, you know, if it doesn't work out with these guys, at least you tried. At least you yeah. put in the effort. You put in the investment. You can kind of go forward with filling out the rest of your roster from there.
0: Well, in order for this organization to be moving in the right direction and for them to win some games and to be excited about the team, their last three draft top, you know, top draft picks, we're talking three top six picks three years in a row. Okay, and then you can go back to the first round pick the previous year was Evan Ingram. So four years basically in a row, their top pick, all offensive side of the ball guys. Mm -hmm. So when you make that investment, this offense is going to what it's going to need to carry this team. There's really no there's really no doubt about that. In order for this team to even sniff like seven and nine, eight and eight or a winning record, this is going to have to be
2: So you can sell more, raise more, and fast-track your business growth. Plus, you can always count on Constant Contact's award-winning customer support for guidance along the way. So get going and start growing your business today with a free trial at ConstantContact.com. Constant Contact. Helping the small stand tall. Go to jetspizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza, better because it has to be.
1: I think so, yeah. I, mean, I, I Granted, they did invest a little bit on defense this year, obviously. You signed James Bradbury, you signed Blake Martinez. You're kind of hoping that solves two problem, you know, two holes that have been on right. defense for years now.
0: They invested in Leonard Williams, Do like Robert it
1: or not. Leonard Williams. Right. And De- and Dexter Lawrence, obviously, you hope is getting better in year two. And it was was yep. fine last year. You know, still has a lot of work to do. But, you know, this isn't a team that's going to be kind of built on the defense the way that the uh I thought like the twenty fifteen team was, or where you know, it was a team that really, you know, because they added those defensive pieces, they all played well. You got a big year from Collins, you had a big year from Eli Apple when he came back from uh, injury and played really mm-hmm. well. Um I feel like that was a team that it was much more about uh the defensive side of the ball than the offensive side of the ball. I think this has to be kind of Uh, the opposite you know I think the defense has to kind of just keep them in games long enough for the offense to do its part and I think you know Dave Gettleman has has normally built the team this way and I think if it doesn't work out that way even if they're not a a a contender even if they just start a six and ten team even if the offense is not a or even if the defense doesn't hold up its end of the bargain I think the offense has to be a top 10 top 12 offense for the Giants to feel great about where they're going after Mm -hmm. the season
0: yeah that that 16 team was rely on the defense. Enough just to let Odell make one play and play crappy backup quarterbacks in that time. And then, and then, and, and that, that was sort of their recipe for success. They had that ridiculous stretch where they didn't play basically a starting quarterback, right? For like a six, six week stretch and, and it just worked out perfectly. Unfortunately, proved to be uh, fool's gold. And then it led to maybe probably a, a setback two years of the franchise of, of kind of rolling it back and trying to build around Eli that one last time. So, Right. Um, all right, let's play a little game, right? You mentioned all the skill position players. And I, and I heard Matthew Barry and Field Yates uh, talking about this the other day, is they were talking about which of their receivers has the most upside, right? And, that's a, and we're talking about just the three wide receivers. And then if you want to throw Ingram in there and Barkley in there, it creates a pretty interesting mix. So I'm curious, what do you, who do you think has the most value? Mm-hmm. I mean, they were talking fantasy in general, uh, be- between that group of wide receivers, just specifically, just wide receivers to start.
1: That's a good question. I mean, I, I you know, my first inclination is to say Stone Shepard. Um, I mine would be like,
0: mine would be Slayton if I knew he would, you know, the, the other two guys yeah. were If I knew one of the other two guys would get injured, I'd be like, definitely Slayton. He has that upside, right?
1: Yeah, and I mean, I think about it, you know, uh, in terms of Darius Slayton's uh, rookie season, he had more receiving yards. Than Sterling Shepard has had in three of his first four years, and that's with missing two games. I mean, yeah. this is a guy who I think, you know, we really had no, had no expectations for. I mean, you know, kind of, if he works out great, but most, uh, it was a fourth round, a fifth round pick. Yeah. Most fifth round picks don't even make a meaningful impact. They don't have 740 receiving yards in their entire career, let alone having it as a rookie. So I think, you know, given that number one, he is a guy who I think, uh, you know, has already exceeded expectations. You already have to kind of, you know, reconfigure what you're thinking about when it comes to Darius Slayton, given his draft uh, location. And number two, I think it's tougher to find a receiver with his skill set as a downfield target than it is to find someone who works out of the slot and is effective out of the slot, like Sterling Shepard. Now, yeah. I, I think Shepard has shown he's a pretty consistent weapon when he's healthy, a guy who can move the chains. That's a pretty valuable player, I think an underrated player, underrated skill set uh, in terms of the league. But I think. You know, with Darius Slayton, I think just giving you that sort of, you know, ability to take the top off the defense, uh, you know, stretch teams downfield, open up holes in the running game, you know, it's harder to find that guy. Maybe he turns out to be like a Robbie Anderson type where it's, you know, not always the most consistent, but he has those hot flashes for a month here or there. That's pretty valuable. I mean, in a a down year for wide receivers in free agency, uh, Robbie Anderson got about $10 million a year. So when you consider the Giants are paying Darius Slayton, I mean, a fraction of that Seven hundred, six hundred
0: fifty thousand. Right. If, if he, actually, if even, he's six hundred thousand, basically, right? Right. Don't for the right. next,
1: for the next three years, they have that option. Um, that's really valuable. So I think you know it, it's already a pretty massive hit for Gettleman. And I think, given that he showed that as a rookie, I do think that in the long run, uh, Darius Slayton probably has the most upside of any receiver in that bunch, right?
0: Now. Yeah, I mean, Gettleman's two biggest hits in my mind are, or at least his his fate is basically slayton and uh and daniel jones and that's uh, daniel jones is still a little bit of a question mark but to me those are the two moves aside from that you look at the free agency and and some of the and bunch of the trades most of those have not worked out so but but those are the two and what you know what if the quarterback works out he's just gonna be and he actually ends up being the real deal legit he's gonna Mm -hmm. be just fine
1: yeah i mean at the end of the day Even if you don't get everything right, you can still succeed. I mean, look at at John Schneider's a good example, right? Where John Schneider built one of the best teams of the last decade in Seattle with Russell Wilson, Bobby Wagner in the middle rounds, Richard Sherman in the middle rounds. He doesn't even hit
0: in the first round, right?
1: Doesn't hit in the first round and (laughs) traded, traded the first round pick for Percy Harvin, signed him to an extension and traded him after like six games with the team and still won a Super Bowl and came within, you know, one interception of winning a second consecutive Super Bowl. So you don't have to get them all right. You just have to get the big ones right. Uh, and get them at, at a high enough rate that you can get over missing uh, one or two here or there.
0: So let's play this game, right? This, we, we mentioned how hard it is to pick between these Giants guys, but let's do it. Ready? Who leaves the team in catches this year? Could be anybody. It doesn't have to be just wide receiver.
1: I, I'm going to say Saquon.
0: I'm going to say I, catches uh, volume. I'm going to say Golden Tate.
1: I could buy that. I, I think Golden Tate absolutely has a lot to prove after last year. Um, but I think Saquon, I think, you know, we talked about Daniel Jones um, having to kind of know when to get rid of the football. I think that's going to mean more targets for Saquon and more catches for Saquon. You figure he's going to be healthier on the fields more the guy who had 91 catches as a rookie. And Eli, of course, was feeding him the ball. Right, I, but, a lot of dump downs. Yeah. But that's a, but still catches or catches. That's a staggering number for a rookie. So I do think we're going to see Saquon, um, you know, get back to that maybe 80 catch range this year.
0: I don't know. I'd be a little surprised. And Jones, uh, maybe the offense is that big a difference, but he likes to push it a little bit. And, and, or, they, you know, even if they look, work to get the ball out of his hands quicker, I think they're going to ha- try to get the ball into the hands of those receivers quicker. The, the, the Tates, mm-hmm. the Shepherds, uh, even the Evan Ingram guys, working out of the slot, uh, those, those kind of guys. So, That's fair. All right, most yards now.
1: Most yards.
0: I Receive, think, it, receiving only. Obviously, yeah. Saquon is going to have the most yards overall. Right.
1: Most receiving yards. I, I, I think the best thing for the Giants would be if Evan Ingram led the team in receiving yards because then it would mean that he had a great year. Mm-hmm. I will go. Well, are you going
0: to bet on him being healthy?
1: I can't. I can't do it. <laughs> I, I would love it. I would love it. It'd be phenomenal if it worked out. I, I'm going to say, I'll say Tate here. I, I will say Tate ends up leading the team in receiving yards, I think probably around 1,000 yards.
0: I am actually going to go with Evan Ingram. I'm going to, I'm going to go out on the limb here and say this is the year he plays the 14 or 15 games, maybe even 16 and you know his yards per catch is going to be especially high because those tight ends they get in those matchups it could lead to big numbers. What's what's a, what's a big tight end yard per catch number?
1: Like with, uh, probably 14 or so. Yeah, I was to, I was
0: going to say uh, 15 but then I thought that might be a little high. So let's say he's in the, he'll be in like the 13-14 yard range per catch, and i'm gonna, I'm going to go with evan ingram there
1: Touchdown.
2: Yeah, last, year,
0: oh, sorry,
1: sorry, last, year, last year evan ingram i mean fifty eight point four yards per game last year um that that's you know that's almost a thousand yard pace nine hundred thirty five yards yeah he was in the so. nine
0: hundred yard pace for sure
1: right so i mean you can definitely pull that off um touchdowns. And one of those games,
0: them. one of those games was a was a half game. You got to remember that right. when he gets injured, a lot of times you don't actually play in those games. So
1: right, it ends up on your game total, but not your yardage yeah. total. Exactly. Receiving touchdowns,
0: receiving touchdowns. I
1: will they don't, go, have the, they don't
0: have the big, you know, red zone weapon. This is right. why this one is a again a total crapshoot.
1: I I will go with tate again i feel like tate is someone who knows the end zone guy is very comfortable working at you know in, in tight quarters a guy who was so good with his route running he can create that extra half yard of separation so i'll, I'll go tate here
0: yeah i know a lot of people would want to go Darius slayton they look at the numbers from last year but that's one place where there's going to be regression his sure. his touchdowns per catch was is unsustainable right uh, so that that's not really realistic to me i mean if he played a full season and got enough targets and he went at the range he was at last year, he'd be a a 15 touchdown guy. I don't, I don't see that. I'm going to go with Sterling Shepard on the touchdown. Uh, He's a, I know he's not a big receiver, but he is a tough receiver, a tough player, a guy that I think they're going to use in the red zone, those short, quick passes out of the slot. So I'm going to go with Sterling Shepard. And like, I don't think any of these guys are going to have 10. So I I think maybe I'd probably go eight, you know, eight, is probably the leader. If you get eight, you're probably the leader on this Giants team.
1: Yeah, and I think it would be a good total given how, how much you figure Daniel Jones is going to spread around the football. You might not get, you know, that, what 150 targets you need for a 10, 12 touchdown year.
0: Yeah, I, I, unless, I mean, look, th- this is the part of predicting it and why it's fun. I mean, you never know. And, you know, with the second one guy gets injured, then it affects the other. I mean, Darius Slayton, ha- I'm not taking anything away from his rookie year. But if there wasn't all those injuries and suspensions, all that stuff, it probably, his, his numbers will probably wouldn't be exactly what they are. Like, everything mm-hmm. kind of went in that, in that direction. So, which is why I also think people need to have a realistic expectation of what his numbers are going to be in year two. Absolutely. Right? He, could put up, he could put up 800 yards and, you know, 60 catches and be a much better player, but his numbers don't, won't look as good as they did last year as a rookie.
1: Right. It all matters. Context matters in terms of timing. You know, is he, catch, is he catching the ball, you know, in competitive football games or is he catching passes in garbage time? I mean, that's, right. that's another big For thing. For sure. It, it's, you know, he's going to be, it's going to be a combination of not only what we see from the numbers, but also when he's making those plays and like what you see from him actually on a play-by-play basis on the football field. If he's not catching a ton of passes, but he's creating, you know, if he's scaring safeties and creating, Uh, friendlier boxes and and easier running opportunities for Saquon Barkley. He's adding value, even though it's not showing up in the numbers.
0: Absolutely. All right. So pick a pro bowler on the Giants, not named Saquon,
1: not named Saquon offense and defense anywhere, anywhere. Oh boy. Um, (laughs) you want to go defense? You go for it. Let's see. (laughs) Who could you
0: come up with on defense that'll make the pro Bowl?
1: maybe Bradbury. I like Bradbury. I think he's an underrated player. I think he's a guy who um, kind of got thrown in at the deep end in Carolina. You know, they had just cut Josh Norman. Mm-hmm. You know, they drafted two rookie cornerbacks. He was the guy from day one there. And I think that division, think about the receivers they have there. It's Mike Evans, Julio Jones, Michael Thomas. There's no days off in the NFC South. So I feel like he's a guy who I think he's not Stefan Gilmore. He's not Tredavious white, but I think in that second tier of cornerbacks, he's, really good so remember those guys
0: you just named are also in the AFC I'm I'm going through in my head okay who it's the NFC competition look like and obviously there's uh you know guys like Richard Sherman and Patrick Peterson who name recognition alone you know those those guys are are strong candidates to be to gain one of some of those spots but uh, yeah uh the AFC seems to have the top 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 of the of the line uh cornerbacks these days
1: yeah, you know, I mean, you got, you know, your Darius Slay. You have, uh, you know, uh, Jair Alexander's really good. You got uh, Janoris Jenkins, of course, in New Orleans now. Might end up getting more profile. Marshall Lattimore's really good. Yeah, But it, it's it's a lot of older guys. I mean, last year, Cal Fuller made it. Cal Fuller did not have a good season. Um, you know, I think Xavier Rhodes made it from the Vikings. Xavier Rhodes got benched. During
0: yeah, the Xavier year. Rhodes and, had a bad season. He was, right. he was and, not you know, the same player anymore. So,
1: so sure. I think, you know, at the end of the day, there's bigger names there than there are players. So I think you might have a situation where uh, a couple of those guys have left. A couple of those guys have dropped off. Maybe it takes a year to kind of catch up, but then, you know, Bradbury signing a big contract, if he plays well and lives up to it, that might get him more notoriety, might get him a pro bowl spot. Or maybe he wouldn't have got it in Carolina a year ago.
0: Yeah. I'll go with, I'm not going to go with the defensive side. I'm just, <laughs> I'll stick because I'm going to take a, a, a no on the defensive side and, and go with Evan Ingram. He, he stays yeah. healthy. Uh, you know, he, he'll get, he'll get in that, a thousand yard range, even if it's you know nine hundred something yards, uh, and he just you know, there'll be big plays that come with that if he could stay healthy and he does stay healthy. Obviously, it's a big bet to make that you're betting on Evan Ingram. So, uh, breakout player for the Giants, one of these young players on the Giants that you think finally makes that next step. You know the Jabril Peppers, Dexter Lawrence, uh, Lorenzo Carter. Uh, you you name it. I mean, Will Hernandez. I'll even you could even you know he'll be he'll be a candidate in that category because his last last year was not great for him as well. Who who do you got as the young breakout player?
1: I'll go Dexter. I'll go Dexter Lawrence here. Um, I think a guy who again, I mean, fine last year, but you know, not a guy who you, you, you watched on a regular basis and thought, man, that's the guy who I'm happy the Giants got. Yeah. you know, uh, as part of the Odell Beckham trade or uh, yeah, the like Garthiel Beckham trade with the Browns pick. Um, you know,
0: I, I like I, I, a yeah. good player, good player, solid player. Does he ever have enough pass rush to be that big pro bowl breakout guy to me? I'm I'm not sure, but right. I, I, that's my only hesitation.
1: Right. I, I think he's not going to be a 10 sack guy, but no, can he be a guy who makes a bunch of tackles for loss, a guy who, you know, you really see week after week, you know, kind of making plays for a guy who you hear Blake Martinez saying, man, my life is so much easier because we have Dexter Lawrence. If you hear that, that's a positive sign. So, I don't know if that's a breakout in terms of the numbers, but in terms of his performance on a more consistent basis, I think I'd like to see that.
0: Yeah. I mean, I'm going to go with I'm, – I'm, I'm flipping in my head. Do I really want to go down the Jabril Peppers route that he finally puts it together? I'm not sure I do. I think I'm going to go with one of these pass rushers. Uh, to me, I'm going to go with Shane Shane Okay. As a guy who you – maybe not, you know, a star – or like a, a real dominant player, but I think you can get like a seven, eight sack guy out of O'Shane Zimenez. I mean, I, I like when I watched him at practice last year, like he has that bend that you look for in these guys that you're like, okay, I could see why the Giants liked him, Third round pick comes from a small school year two. You would think, okay, big jump for this guy in year two, right? Year one was probably crazy for him. Now, obviously, the pandemic and the no spring probably wasn't the most beneficial thing for him, but mm-hmm. I think we could see O'Shane Zimenez as their breakout guy on defense, and they could actually have a, a pass rusher with some consistency opposite Marcus Golden. So, you have those two guys in the 7-10 to 10 sack range, and all of a sudden, hey, you know, your pass rush isn't so bad anymore.
1: Yeah, four and a half sacks as a rookie, only played about 45% of the staff, so you'd figure maybe plays a little more and maybe has more production for it.
0: Yeah, his his pressure rate wasn't especially high. That's the only you know, that was the only thing when I went to look at it I wasn't blown away by. But when you talk to people around the team they said that he's he's probably the more talented pass rusher, natural edge rusher than Lorenzo Carter is like mm-hmm. you know, Lorenzo Carter who people had high hopes for last year. If you look at him, he was never that big sack guy in college. He's never been that big sack guy in the pro. So maybe we actually we have to come to realization that this kind of is what Lorenzo Carter is at this point, you know?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. Absolutely.
0: So, overall outlook on the Giants this year is what? A win total? What's a, su- um, what's a success for you?
1: Yeah, I think that's a good question. I, I would say 8-8 eight eight would be successful. Like, I think in an 8-8 eight eight season where Daniel Jones takes a step forward, the defense improves, where you see Andrew Hunter play well, Archer Thomas play well, excuse me, I'm sorry, um, <laughs> where you see, you know, just a... Just Consistency throughout the team. Maybe they don't win, you know, uh, they, they, don't, they don't compete for a playoff spot. Maybe they beat a team they're not supposed to beat. Uh, maybe they beat two teams not supposed to beat. Maybe they, they give the Cowboys and Eagles a, a tough time in the NFC East where you think, okay, we saw signs of improvement. Now, year three with Daniel Jones, another year with the draft. Maybe this is the year where now we expect the playoff berth. I think kind of that, that slow process, that slow growth, I think getting them to 7-9 and nine or especially 8-8 eight and eight would be a really big step for them this year.
0: Yeah, I think if they went 7-9, and nine, Daniel Jones made some, took some steps and made some growth, you could be pretty happy going to next year. But they have to have one win against the Eagles and Cowboys. They cannot get swept for the fourth straight year by those teams. Oh, wow. Right, it was The last time they beat, I think, beat one of them was 2016 at this point.
1: Is that true? Wow.
0: Is, is that right? Is it 16 or 17? I, I'm pretty sure it was 16. The 17 was a disaster. Everything fell apart.
1: Yeah. They didn't beat anybody in 2017.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, you can't get swept by those teams again. You just – you just, just one win against them, I think, you need to have – to make the – a win against, you know, the Bucs on, Mon, on Monday night or the Steelers on Monday night. You can't lose both those games at home probably. Uh, you're probably, probably going to have to win one of those games at home if you're going to get the seven or eight wins, right?
1: Yeah, they play the Cowboys at home week 17. So even if it's just, you know, hey, the Cowboys are making the playoffs, Giants aren't, but at least if the Giants beat them in week 17, you know, kind of something to look forward to, something to build upon for the next year.
0: Well, they were in that boat, and they actually scored over 30 points, right? And then uh, but the back led them back to like a last-second win, oh, and God. Blake Jarwin, I think it was, in the back of the end zone, tearing yeah, apart the Giants.
1: <laughs> yeah, that 36-35 game a couple of years ago.
0: You're you're high on the Cowboys though again this year. You were high on them last year if I remember right when I thought.
1: No, to you.
0: no, I. So well you were low. That. You were down on them.
1: I literally had them as I think the team most likely to regress in the NFL last year. Oh,
0: and now you have them as one of the teams most likely to improve. improve correct.
1: Back on the bandwagon this year for sure. <laughs> yeah. So, why? Yeah,
0: I mean, why is that? Let's hear. Is it just the coaching change? Is there more than that that has you so optimistic?
1: Coaching change helps. This is a team I think was better than the numbers last year, or their numbers were better than their record last year. The opposite was true in 2018. 2018, they had a lot of close wins against some mediocre teams. 2019, their losses were pretty close against some pretty good teams. Their wins were outside of the Jets game. The Jets game was a disaster, that's fair to say. But, uh, you know, they were a much more competitive team. Really, really better on offense. I think people are giving them credit for it. They were second in DVOA, which is stat I use uh, from Football Outsiders. I'm a big fan of that stat. I find it to be more predictive. Than just about anything else out there. Um, yeah, so, efficiency
0: and then, is important, yeah, right? And that's basically that's basically what it is.
1: Right, and so then, you know, I like the off season they had. Obviously, uh, Jason Garrett probably time to go. We'll see what he does in New York. There's plenty of coaches who, you know, improve as offensive coordinators after they lose their head coaching job. Um, so I'm not you know, not pessimistic on Garrett as an offensive coordinator, but I think it was just time to make a change back in a contract year. I mean, so much room to play for, uh, an enormous season for him, ton of weapons, offensive line is still great. Um, defense. I think they added a bunch of pieces up front should be better there. So, uh, I just think they're a team that I think have a, a lot of reasons to put it together this year. I think they're a 10 or 11 football team.
0: Well, we know where you stand on the Redskins. You have them 32nd in their, uh, skill position weapons. Uh, I think, that kind of stands, uh, says, says all we need to know about, you know, uh, you're not going to be an especially good team if you have zero weapons. So that, that's, they're pretty close to that at this point. But what about the Eagles?
1: Um, I mean, I, I think it depends on how healthy they are, right? I mean, this is a team that last couple of years, they've, they've looked good early in the season, and then by the, year, by the time you get to December and January, they're not healthy.
0: They're yeah. Carson Wentz is in the uh, Evan Ingram boat at this point.
1: And, right, Carson Wentz is the
0: uh, the most important player on the team
1: hundred percent. So you have Carson Wentz injury issues. They've already lost Brandon Brooks might be their best offensive lineman for the entire season. Uh, they're bringing all peters. I mean, this is a, they, they, Darius Slade, Darius Slade wasn't a star last year. Darius Slade was okay. You know, I kind of feel like they're chasing a formula that might not exist. You know, this is a team that won in 2017. And I don't know if you can win with that formula if Carson Wentz is making, you know, $30 million as opposed to $3 million,
0: $5 million. And really, what was that formula? Because in the end, they end up winning with Nick Foles.
1: Right, exactly. So, <laughs> you know, I, 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 I think it's about, you know, they have...
0: That formula, that they formula really, like you said, is quarterback different. on the
1: cheap. Right. So now it's totally different. So it's going to be intriguing. You know, I feel like they are a team where if everything breaks right, they could be a Super Bowl contender. And if they don't have things go the way they're hoping, they could be a 7-9 and nine team. So they have a pretty wide range of outcomes this year.
0: The brilliance of Bill Barnwell, right there for you, ladies and gentlemen. As always, we appreciate it. Thank you for your time. Hopefully, you get to at least enjoy some Giants excitement this year. Like you said, you know, a nice win week one at home against uh, Monday night in front of the entire nation against the Steelers will get everyone excited. You know, a big win against the, the the Bucks on Monday night or beating the Cowboys or Eagles, we gotta, they got to give you so, they got to give you something. You and the Giant fans out there, it's been it's been a rough few years.
1: Yeah, hoping for some progress this year, but I will be watching closely.
0: Yeah. All right. Bill Barnwell, thank you very much. Appreciate your time. All right. Always enjoy talking to the great Bill Barnwell. He has a very analytical way of thinking, just a, a very smart approach to football, in my opinion. So, uh, And obviously, he knows what he's talking about when it comes to the Giants. You could tell there he grew up a Giants fan. Uh, he's still – you know, watches the Giants and 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 follows them closely, and and you could tell by his knowledge really of the roster from one to uh, seventy or eighty eighty as it is right now. Really, it's the, I was about to say one to fifty three, but who knows what the roster this year? Basically, the roster is going to be one to seventy because the practice squad is going to be huge, and everybody that's on their roster is probably going to play in games at some point. But all right. So let's wrap up this episode of Breaking Big Blue. I'll do a little quick Jordan on the beat of what it's like being a Giants reporter, an NFL reporter in general. And I'll tell you what it's like right now because what the Giants are doing, and they're being very good about providing uh, people in the organization in regards to putting people on conference calls, Zoom calls, players. We've been running through players and coaches this week and last week. Everyone from, you know, obviously Joe Judge, he's done it a couple times now. Uh, and uh, Daniel Jones and Saquon Barkley. And and we went through defensive players, uh, some of the top defensive players, Jabril Peppers, uh, Blake Martinez, James Bradbury. So the Giants are being very proactive and helpful in that they're providing these people on conference calls, and we're getting good about 10 minutes with each guy. I think that's kind of what they slot for each Player and coach is 10 minutes. And the the Giants assistants are going to be on Thursday and Friday this week. A lot of the assistants, they did the coordinators already earlier this week. We heard from Jason Garrett for the first time uh, since he's been hired. Really, Jason Garrett. And I'm not going to make a big deal out of this, but I think it's kind of weak that Jason Garrett was the head coach of the Dallas Cowboys. The Dallas Cowboys, which is the most popular franchise in the NFL for a decade, basically, close to a decade, nine full seasons, right? He was even the assistant head coach or, or the, the interim head coach a little bit before that, the assistant head coach. So he was there more than a decade of the Dallas Cowboys. He hadn't spoken publicly in an, in a, to reporters or answered questions since he, let's say he wasn't brought back. His, they allowed his contract to expire. And there was all this talk at the time about how the Cowboys were uh, interviewing other coaching candidates while he still was under contract and he was left dangling and no one really knows how it went down. And Jason Garrick, first of all, doesn't talk to anybody about it publicly. And then he gets on the conference call and says, I'm not going to take, I'm not really going to answer questions about that. I'm only going to talk about what's here moving forward to me. That's kind of weak. When you're the head coach of the biggest organization, the most popular organization in the NFL, to not talk for, it's August. He was let go by the Cowboys in January. So you're talking about eight months. Wow. Uh, Now, I don't care that much because I'm here covering the Giants. But if you're interested in the NFL and you're covering the Dallas Cowboys – I mean, those things matter to those people. I mean, people, the Dallas Cowboy fans, are interested in how it went down, you know, of everything that went down there. And uh, and even here, I, d- I didn't ask him about, you know, what it, about the Giants job intrigued him and how that went down and how he ended up being hired by the Giants. And he took a pass on that. Well, politely, respectfully, that's fine. He could take a pass on that. But, you know, you just thought it's something you probably should address. He's been in this spot before. He's been in this high profile spot for so long you would think he'd be a little bit more open to uh, you know, providing some detail about what went down and his feelings on everything that went down uh, after leaving an organization for 10 years and rejoining an organization that he's been in in the past. Remember, he was a backup quarterback here and then coming back to the Giants now, what, some 17 years later or whatever? So, but... He didn't really want to talk about that, took a pass on that, gave us a little bit of insight on what a Jason Garrett offense might look like. And really, I think what I took from that is what you saw the last few years in Dallas is what he's going to try to bring here to the New York Giants. Now, it's not the same as the offense when he was just the offensive coordinator. I think they've evolved a little bit to the modernization of the NFL offenses uh, of, you know, spreading them out, slinging the ball around a little bit. Uh, So we're going to, we're going to see some of that. A lot of quarterback Daniel Jones, I felt like on being making plays on the move. I got a lot of that vibe from talking to people the last few weeks. So that's kind of what we could expect from Jason Garrett and the giants and kind of what we've been able to pick up in the way that we're being accommodated pretty darn well by the giants Especially when you talk to people with other teams. Not everybody gets, you know, all these players and coaches. It, it really is dependent team by team at this point in the season. So that's where we stand. Uh, we will start attending practices. At least being able to watch them, I believe, from a distance in the patio. Starting on Monday. Monday is the 17th. So I'll give you, by the next podcast, I'll be able to give you a heads up of what it's like to actually watch practice these days. So that'll be pretty interesting. And that's it for this episode of Breaking Big Blue. As always, remember, uh, subscribe, tell your friends. Feel free to send me questions anytime. We'll do another Giants After Dark soon. Email, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. You know how to find me. I'm Jordan Ronan, Giants reporter for ESPN, ESPN ESPN.com. See you next time.